Love the control. Love the command. Love the spacebar and the hard return. Love the words from East Leeds FM. So good evening and welcome to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM. This evening I'm going to be talking to Adrian Sinclair. This is a this is a, a series of interviews I'm talk, I'm doing with with people who make things happen in the arts. And Adrian's been doing that a lot of it, particularly over the last few months. Going to hear hear about that, but really over many many years. So hello, Adrian. Hi there. Um, Adrian. A little conceit by way of making you <laughs> introduce yourself. Um, if you're at a social gathering of any kind, um, and with people who you don't know, who perhaps aren't in the arts, and somebody says, what do you do? What do you <laughs> say? I, I was just, I, I get a little sidetracked remembering social gatherings, actually. <laughs> you know, it's like, I just die for a social gathering at the moment, but um, and, and not a Zoom one. Um, but yeah, no, it's a funny one, really, because I suppose, well, it took me a long time because my background was one of of sort of sciences, engineering, all that sort of stuff. And I took up the arts and particularly dance and theatre originally as a hobby and always felt a bit of an imposter. So it took me a long time to sort of have the courage to say, well, actually, I'm a performer or a dancer or there may be an artist. Um and then sometimes, you know, you kind of go, well, actually, no, but I work with people. That's the thing that really excites me is actually working alongside people using creativity. And you start getting into sorts of explanations. And I do remember many years ago working with a bunch of quite sort of uh, hardened 15-year-old lads. Um, and we were doing a dance workshop for three days. And I was explaining to them at the time, I'd been doing some work for the BBC and I was doing this and I was doing that and trying to explain what I did. And you kind of get that moment when you, you realise you've lost them completely. They're not interested. So it was just kind of like, shut up and get on with it. So we did the work and it was on the final day, actually, and things were going really well. And this group of hardened lads were softening up nicely. Um, and this lad came to me after lunch and he said, uh, in a, sort of like a really positive way, he said, I've, I've worked out what you do. And I said, go on then, tell me. He said, you ponce around for a living. <laughs> <laughs> and he said it with like absolute respect, you know, like you get away with doing this, don't you? And so any time, but to this day, whenever somebody says to me, what do you do for a living? In my mind, and sometimes I do actually say it, it just says, I ponce around for a living. And I think there's there's a certain element of it, of that sort of the playfulness, the, the sort of, 
you know, the give and take, the le jeu, as they say in France, the ability to take ideas, develop them between you, all that sort of stuff. And I think a lot of my work has been about that, of, yes, having a sort of theme. Um, I started off as an activist. I believe in, in changing the world to become a better place. I believe in working with people to do that. But it's having a good time and finding creative ways to do that. I do remember it was a sort of similar sort of situation, being able to to see some some young people perform and a bunch of young men perform in particular. And then for me, the real feeling of success for me was to be able to say to them that was beautiful and then just accept it. You kind of thought that's such a big thing to do because it's not what you expect. You know, there's a sort of hardness and that inability to 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 sort of relax with other people and to be in front of others and, and to say something was beautiful and then to actually feel that that was a real compliment and take it really positively. So, yeah, if that's poncing around, then then I'm all for it. Absolutely. People who've been anywhere near Chapel FM Arts Centre at Weasleeds FM, really for the last 20 years, will know what you do. But for people who don't, perhaps you could just tell us what your relationship is with Chapel, with Eastleeds FM, with Heads Together. Well, Heads Together was the sort of starting point. So originally it was Heads Together Physical Theatre. It was a what we called in those days a physical theatre company, so a kind of a combination of theatre and dance. Um, and... And then sort of developed into just heads together productions as we sort of developed mostly the sort of collaborative and participatory work that we did. And Eastleys FM just started as one of our what was many projects. So we were we started working up at John Smeaton, what was then Community High School. Um, and it was one of those times we used to talk a lot and, and still do about creativity with purpose. So the purpose is often defined first and in that case the school had been criticized by Ofsted uh, in their inspection for having not having good links with parents and families and the community and we sort of talked with senior management at the time and sort of said well the thing is you know your school's on the edge of town a lot of kids bus out here so your ideas of maybe trying to get them to parents to come along to to parents evenings and stuff well that's really tough if you if you haven't got a car or you rely on public transport and there's no buses in the evening and you might have younger kids as well. So let's try something a bit different. And that's was the idea of what if we ran a radio station and what if we got the kids to lead on it? And it was a group of year eights to lead on it. And, and what if they sort of made that link between the school and the community? in a different way and maybe not even broadcast from the school but what if we found a space in the community to do it from and again it was that sort of play of just kind of going well that could work and how you know how would that be and and we tried it it worked really well and that's when East Leeds FM was born um, and then of course once you've done it and the people kind of go oh we'd like to do that again let's let's do it more and it just developed over the years and became a sort of bigger and bigger project and programme and technology changed things. You know, originally it was only on FM and then the internet arrived and then you could broadcast on the internet and then podcasting arrived. And so we developed it. And then at some point, having a virtual home wasn't enough. We kind of went, well, actually, the people who are doing this want to be in a place and particularly the teenagers we've been working with 
wanted to have a space that they could work in and and we we found a space and old as you'll remember well Boggart Hill uh, old rent office where LS14 Trust is now based which when we moved in every window we had been a former it was a, a rent office and and every window in the place was smashed mm-hmm. um it's for virtually derelict and uh, we took that over and developed that for a while and then sort of decided that wasn't enough and found what was Seacroft Methodist Chapel um probably about 2008 actually uh quite and took a long time but we you know raised the money and developed it into Chapel FM Art Centre. So Adrian I mean we're going to go return to Chapel FM and also we're going to be talking about phase two very exciting development which is kind of reaching a conclusion. But but first of all, I'm going to... I want, to, I want you to imagine a sort of Doctor Who sound now and uh, hmm. going to take you back in time. So you've talked a little about your kind of origins in science. But, yeah, so just I'd like you to, to sort of outline that journey, really, from being from doing an engineering degree, as I know you did, right through to, yeah, the discovery of dance and then how you kind of trans- transmogrified, really, into, into where you are now. So first, yeah, yeah, so you, you, did you want, did you have any idea of what you wanted to be when you were, say, 17 or 18? Well, at that point, I kind of said I always wanted to build a bridge and, and didn't realise that you'd, you, you couldn't really just do that. You know, they didn't let you. Um, uh, but that was the sort of, you know, and, and creative, you know, sciences and engineering are incredibly creative things um, and, and involve a lot of thinking and development, often working in teams, all sorts of different things. I was also a rugby player, you know, and rugby is an incredibly creative thing. It can be a really horrible thing as well. But, you know, working in a team, developing ideas, you know, using imagination, all those sorts of things. And our rugby team at school, I suppose we went to one of those very... Well, it was a, a, a very liberal grammar school, direct grammar school at the time. Um, and it just encouraged people to do lots of different things. So we were doing the sciences, but, you know, if you wanted to, uh, you got involved with theatre as well. And then when the London Contemporary Dance Theatre came to our school, all oh, the rugby team went along and did a dance workshop. And, and, and it was... It was just one of those sorts of moments of kind of going, wow, this is just a great way to use your physicality and why not sort of thing. So I did quite a lot at school, along with the sciences, along with playing rugby and ended up playing rugby for England and all these different things. But I also went to Edinburgh Festival and performed with the drama group and started at that point to dance. So it was just a sort of really interesting transition for me. And I think really useful because I always remember the bit about when you first go to something and what a challenge that can be to go to your first dance class. If you've never been, lots of people do it all through their lives. They know what to do. And I remember when I was at university and somebody said to me, why don't you come along to dance class? And it took me six months to work up the courage. And part of it was, what would you do? You know, will I be any good? And all those sorts of things. But some of it was like, well, where do you get changed? And what do you wear? 
and you know and and how does the session all those sorts of unknowns because it's a completely different world so i still remember that whenever somebody says well you know just come along to this to a to a 15 year old or something it's just to remember what it's like to walk through a door when you don't know what's going to happen on the other side contact improvisation was the big thing at the time so and that was fantastic because it meant that you didn't have to learn steps you had to learn how to use your physicality to improvise with other people and move your weight and lift people and they would lift you and and yeah it was a I, I think if it had to have been just a straight certainly if it was been a ballet class I wouldn't have stuck it but actually doing something that just used the physicality that I developed I suppose um, in a different way was a really nice thing to do but it's also quite a leap from doing it recreationally as it were then suddenly to set up a dance company which heads together mm. originally was if I understand it right Hmm. Well, that was when I moved up to Leeds. Um, I, I started, I was actually a mime class. There's a woman called Jerry Turvey, who you know as well. And, and she was running uh, contemporary mime, not the sort of traditional stuff. But again, the use of the body physically and performance. And, and I can't really remember, but there came this opportunity to, that, that she was going to set up a company with another woman, Tamsin. And I kind of said, well, you know, yeah, I'd really like to give that a go, you know, and it was a it was a big step to kind of go, well, we're going to do this professionally. Um, and I sort of thought, well, I can do all the other bits. I can do the organizing stuff and I, and I can work out how to do finances and things like that. So I saw myself very much as a supportive role, but I was a performer and we did perform equally. And it was it was a big step, but a very exciting one. And I think there are those moments sometimes when you just have to give it a go and see what happens. And, it, and it, it just stuck, really. It just kept going. But again, I always felt a little bit of an imposter with it. I, and, yeah, when I, I met you, this is probably 10 or 15 years ago now, um, you were really, it seemed to me, a filmmaker. So you'd made a... Mm. You'd, your, your early life seems to be very much about physicality, the rugby playing, the, the dance. But now I, I associate you, apart from your your sort of vision work as it were but also very much involved with technology and very capable with technology so that what happened there mm. I, i'm trying to remember i mean it's i did get involved with i got a, a, a sort of apprenticeship on the dance for the camera films that bbc were making and sort of suddenly realized just what an interesting form film was and the sort of difference of you know creativity in terms of creating a performance but then creativity in terms of editing something of taking something that's been filmed and, and putting something together from it and and I suppose I've always enjoyed well we you know we talk a lot about collaboration I've always enjoyed looking at the links between different art forms how does creativity work for a musician how does uh, I remember I was working with Jack Glover and we and I was at that point I was working in dance and he was working in music and I was saying I'm really interested in stillness uh, at the moment of how you can actually just be on a stage and be still but really hold an audience and Jack said that's really interesting I'm interested in silence <laughs> and and just sort of looking at those links we did say I, I don't think creating a silent still performance is going to go very far but but it, it, the way things link, so I suppose I've just always been interested in finding different ways of working. And then, you know, from film, 
I then got really interested in radio just as a form of like, well, what happens when you take the pictures away? And I think you've always described it as the most visual medium. And I really do believe that, that just having the voice or you know, whatever you do with sound can be incredibly evocative for somebody listening in a different way than, than film is. I always, I, I, I'm really interested and I love the sort of how creativity goes across different mediums. And, and I've always worked with artists for, who, who work in different ways and different forms. And there are some artists who are absolutely committed to one form or even one particular part of a form and really, really push that. And I think there are other people who just, you know, there's a joy of of playing with creativity and finding different ways. And that might happen, change day to day, or it might change during your lifetime. I think over time you kind of go, well, actually, now I'm really excited about this. Um, and I think that's more the direction that, that, that I've taken. But again, you know, at the moment, I, I, I don't know, do I, am I an artist? I, I sort of, I think sort of activism is really important for me. The sort of changing of things is really important. Using creativity in all sorts of different ways is important. And I think that's the role. And we don't really have a term for it in the same way that, you know, nobody quite knows how to explain what we do. Um, but it's more than just developing the art form. It's about doing that with people and trying to change things. To, that's what we said, creativity with purpose. We're trying to achieve something with it. Great. Well, um, as they say in Desert Island Discs, it's time for your first try. So, I mean, yeah, you, a piece of music, Adrian, that's had some um, bearing for you on your life or your, your life's work. Well, I was thinking about this and... and um, Toots died recently from Toots and the Maytals and and I sort of realised that it was probably one of the bands that I saw that I've seen the most in my life live. Um, they were just always around at a sort of when I was in my late teens, early 20s. Um, and one of the tracks I, I always really liked was a track called Pressure Drop, which is, is um, I think he talked about being a, it's a revenge track but it's revenge in terms of karma because the pressure that he's talking about is barometric pressure and that if you do bad to me, then the pressure will drop and the weather will get terrible. Yeah! 
So that was Toots with Pressure Drop, chosen by Adrian Sinclair, who is our uh, guest here on Love the Words tonight. So, Adrian, you've you've mentored a number of people over the years, uh, and very effectively. I mean, did you were there people for you at certain particular points who nudged you, who were particularly influential? Hmm. I, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, one I've mentioned already, so Jerry Turvey, who we set up the company originally, I learned so much. I mean, it was an, it was, it was more an apprenticeship than a mentorship. I think uh, I learned not just the performance stuff as well, how to work with people. I mean, I think um, some of the first work I did with her was up at Meanwood. At what, the, what was that place? You know, the, the, um, was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a hospital that where people stayed for years and years and years, and yeah. some of the most difficult people. It's an awful place in lots of ways, and she worked with the, the residents there, and I was allowed to come along and be part of that. It was incredibly challenging work, mm. um, but I think you know through people like her, and there's another guy called Wolfgang Stanger in in London, who again I spent a week with, went to all of his workshops. Um, and just sort of tagged along and was able to sort of learn by being and, and you know, sometimes asking questions, um, but just sort of seeing what he did. I do remember actually sort of at the time when I would plan a workshop, you know, I'd write a couple of pages of notes and, you know, you'd point 10, you'd only ever get to three, but you'd sort of you know, not over plan, but, you know, I really needed to have that. And I remember with Wolfgang, we were talking and then he said, oh, I have a workshop to do in half an hour. I need to plan. So he said, just give me a couple of minutes. So he sat there in silence. He's, he thought for a couple of minutes. He wrote three words on a piece of paper and he said, that's fine. You know? <laughs> and, I, and I remember thinking at the time, I want to be the sort of person who can plan a workshop in, in two minutes, write three words down and run it. And, and I don't know if I can now, but it did sort of, again, it's that bit of kind of, having the privilege of seeing how someone works and thinks and 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 develops things themselves is just so interesting even if it's for you to say well that's not how i do things but it gives you that reference point um and then a couple of sort of really you know 
important thinkers. Um, there's a guy called Dave Williams who he did all the stuff in the Methleys in the 90s, which was a whole nother whole ball game of turfing the street and doing real work in a, a very local community. Um, and again, I just felt that I learned so much from being around him. Um, and another man called Bert Mulder, um, and both Dave and, and Bert, it's, it's been quite sad actually. I mean, Dave, Dave died quite young and Bert died earlier this year. Um, and he was a real sort of influence on me. And I miss those people, although I still think about them and I still think about what I learned from them. So, so yeah, they were really influential people. And I, and I, you know, getting to the age now when you kind of go, oh, those people who are mentors to me won't be around anymore. Does that mean I have to mentor other people? You know, so it was like, well, I'd, I'd rather be the person who learns from others. But uh, yeah, there's part of me that also has learned a bit about mentoring others, I suppose. Absolutely. And, and in that, um, yeah, to carry on that theme, really, um, it's, it's quite, we've talked in the past and really about how we pass stuff on, I suppose, and the mm. kind of the, the, the lack of recognition, perhaps, for participatory arts within the arts world generally and the kind of lack of kind of career structure, if you like, I call scaffolding for for young people coming in and your uh, tell us a bit about union in mm. that regard i mean it has been a, a, a long conversation and, it, and for years kind of thought somebody else must sort this out you know there is no way forward and um i mean it struck me uh, there's a there's a young woman who worked with both of us for a while and i just remember a, a setting where she said I, I asked her for some reason i asked her what she was planning to do when she grew up you know in her career where was she going and she just said well i'd quite like your job actually <laughs> um and i thought well actually you might be quite good at it but before you know i'd finished that thought she said so what would i need to do to get your job how would I do it? What's the, what's the, as you say, what's the scaffolding for me? And I couldn't answer her. You know, I really didn't know. Was it, should she go to university? What should she learn? All those sorts of things. So, so over a number of years, we've been sort of thinking about that and ended up eventually kind of going, well, taking inspiration actually from another organization that I think you probably introduced me to the writing squad, writer squad. Um, and, the idea that they had about creating something that that allowed people to get on with their work in their early careers, um, whatever that work was and however different it was, but but added in something, some some settings where the group would come together. Um, so you had this sort of strong group of peers who could learn together and learn from each other and also got some one to one work, some specific mentoring or coaching that actually supported them in what they were doing. So it's the beginning of 2019, we eventually got to try out um, this, and we called it Union, the Northern School of Creativity and Activism. Um, and it's been an absolute joy, I have to say. I mean, challenging at times, but we took on a group of 21, in the end, 21 participants over a 12-month period. Um, and it was just lovely to see such an interesting group of people all you know struggling and 
doing amazing things and wanting more input and really sort of committed and and thoughtful as well and actually just to be able to be alongside them and support them when it was needed um, and to to not provoke but to offer things that they you know would reflect off and and that's what we've been doing and it was it the plan was to sort of move on to a new cohort but of course earlier this year covid hit um and in a positive way we were able to get some additional funding from the paul hamlin foundation and carry on our support for them because it felt that they they needed it they were the ones plenty of them losing lots of work suddenly weren't able to do what they wanted to do and it's been really interesting actually because they've they they've really come through it um and and they did need there was a lot of support going on but we've been able to offer them some projects to do and various things and it does feel that they're really coming through it and i kind of go well if we can support them at, at that if we can provide something useful for them at that point then that's a really positive thing um so yeah so the plan is to to carry on with that i think that's my sort of real focus now is to is to develop that idea of being able to support people in their careers as they work uh, in in this sort of area of work that we do and what kind of things are those young people going on to do just give us an idea of what they might be doing and, and what you would like them to be doing i suppose if you had any idea of that hmm I mean, I suppose it is that working with people is using creativity to work with people and they're, and they're doing that in all sorts of different ways. It's all different art forms. Some of them are freelance and doing their own things. We've got theatre workers who are who are uh, doing stuff um, in old people's homes. Uh, we've got a young woman who's producing work with other young producers in the Northwest. We've got visual artists and uh, disabled visual artists who are sort of you know, using their work in a campaigning way to try and change things. Um, and, and I think in, in some ways, the interesting thing is that they are going in different directions, you know, and, and they are making decisions. And sometimes they kind of apologize for that. You kind of go, no, that was the whole point was to actually not try and railroad people into a certain direction, but allow them to make the positive directions for them. And, and I suppose that's you know that's our work generally isn't it you sort of you give people a, an offer but you want them to take it in their own way um and it, it i think the exciting bit and the thing that i see from the writer squad is that is that it's great to do but wouldn't it be great to do that for 10 years so that you have a whole series of cohorts and different interactions between them and then you start to feel that you would have something in terms of a career structure and scaffolding and roots and all that kind of stuff so yeah that's my real ambition is to do it for 10 years or for, to see it done whether it's me doing it or that, that that something that that has that longevity and does sustain itself, but sustains people through it. And then that young woman you talked to years ago might be doing your job by the end. She might be, you know, you never know. I, I can watch my back. But actually, that's the other thing that, I mean, as you know, you know, the, the thing for me was to sort of recognise that, that I've developed, I mean, I think it was 86 Heads Together started, and we've got to this point with Chapel FM and all those sorts of things. And at some point... I won't be there anymore. And and one of the big things of, you know, because knowing quite a few companies that started in the 80s is there's this big crisis time when this person or people who founded the organisation then leave again to at some point. 
So it felt like, well, why not plan to make that a positive progression, that leaving was a positive thing to do, as opposed to a, a you know, a, a disaster or, or a potential disaster. So I think actually finding a new direction for me has been really important. Um, and that feels very good at the moment. Absolutely. And, and Union, of course, is, is very much connected with Chapel FM as a building, I think, and has been. Yeah. But, uh, and will remain so. But talking of Chapel FM, I won't keep you too long because I know you're a busy person, but it would be really good to know, since you've mentioned COVID, to know what you've been doing in the last six months. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, it's interesting because we, we all did the broadcast, which was great to do. So to, to, to find a positive thing to do, to get on FM, uh, get a license, broadcast from home and put something really positive together. And that was really nice to do. But at the same time, for me, we'd been planning this second phase of development for Chapel FM. So we'd originally bought the old Methodist Chapel uh, built in 1874 completely redeveloped that which is about a million pounds worth of development and then uh, we had the opportunity to buy the 1980s church hall that was next door to it which never felt as beautiful a building um, but so so we had everything in place in March to go ahead and have the contractors come in and start that whole process for the next six months and and in some ways, it's been quite good timing because we've been able to do it. We would, the building would have been closed anyway mm. um, at this time. We would have been doing other things. But yes, I've gone back into capital development mode, which I quite like. I mean, it's sort of, you know, there's a bit of that engineering from the beginning. There's certainly a load of creativity in it. There's a lot of organisational stuff and there's working in teams. You know, if I, I have to get my architect and contractor and quantity surveyor and all those different people working together to achieve something and keep them happy whilst being assertive, you know, all those sorts of different things. And, the, and the, one of the nice things about it, because a lot of our work is, is ongoing and, and is over a long time and is developmental. But the kind of nice thing about this is it has a beginning, a middle, and it has an end point. And the end point is quite close. And, and you know, the, in the next couple of weeks, the, the main contractors will finish. They'll hand over the building to us. We've got a bit more work to do. And then it will be a ready, finished building. And there's something quite nice about having end points at which you can hopefully celebrate um, and, and you know, hand something over. But it, it is something that's a very definite creation. Mm. You know, you start with something that you know, it was there in this case, but we have created something new out of it um, through a team effort. And that feels pretty good. Absolutely. Um, and just a quick aside before we move on, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like an extraordinary uh, kind of feat of balance to, with, with the, this building that you're, that you're achieving in the sense of you're overseeing it, but you're also looking at the tiny details where the plug goes or needs to come across another centimetre. I mean, what, 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 what aspect of that job do you enjoy the most? Well, I do like detail. I think I'm actually quite good at the sort of detail side of things. Uh, and I suppose the nice thing is is having it all, though, you know, and I think a lot of our work, you know, if you in film, I mean, 
when I was doing those sorts of things, it was right from the beginning, right from going out talking to people because we we're doing quite a lot of documentary work all the way through to I mean, I didn't do the final detailed edits, you know, no two frames this direction, but I would tell somebody else to do it. You know, so all those sorts of little bits from that big vision to the little detail become part of something. And I think, you know, I like the range of work that we do. Um, and, and I think, yeah, that's that's a real positive for me. So you start with that sort of big vision, imagination stuff and and get to the point when you kind of go, right, this is production time now. We need to get this done and we need to oversee it. And if we don't do the production well, then it's no good having the vision at the beginning because it just won't become that. And if somebody comes into the building, say, I love this building, but that plug point is in the wrong place. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like it's a disaster. So it actually, you know, for me that's quite important because I, I think I said when we finished phase one and everyone came in and said this is beautiful and I have to say you know I was proud and I was relieved and all those sorts of things but it felt like well yeah but does it work if we're in this building and inhabit this building do we kind of feel that this building helps us and changes us and and works with us or do we feel that it looks lovely but it just it, it doesn't it's not right and I think that was one of the nice things about phase one is feeling that that it did actually and it became like a site specific for installation for us it's like we went into that building we changed it but then it changed us and it changed the things that we did so there was a real relationship and i hope that's the same for phase two because it's it has really changed the building you know more than i thought it would by having this sort of like strange 1980s thing on the side but it's opened it up in a different way and i'm really interested to see what happens when people now inhabit it um, as and I, you know, I recognise I'll have to inhabit it two metres apart to begin with, but we shall see how that develops over the coming years. Yes, and that and that sort of the uh, the balance between practical and beautiful, I think, is what phase one achieved. And I always we've talked about this, but I always love showing people upstairs into Studio Three and. I, I would say 95% of the time, the first word that people say when they go in there for the first time is, wow. Yeah. And uh, I think people will do that with this building too, because I think it also, as far as my limited uh, you know, acquaintance with it goes, just looking the other day, it certainly does, does that job. But Adrian, finally, before we, before we leave, I really would like to hear more about, or something about Fellowship of Questions. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, this is a, it's another sort of interesting, it's, it's a lockdown project. I was supposed to be going to Rijeka in Croatia, which is one of the European capitals of cultures this year. Um, I'm supposed to be going there with the European Cultural Foundation for a lab a week in, I can't remember, over the summer sometime. So that all got cancelled. And I was, I was desperately thinking, I really don't want to spend a week on Zoom. But we did actually end up doing some really interesting work and something that had been sort of you know right one of those things that sometimes they roll around in your mind and and you never you don't quite initially find the what to do with them and it and it came from reading a book Paget Powell's book uh what's it called uh the interrogative mood. the interrogative mood yes which I think you probably recommended to me to no, begin you with uh, you in, you <laughs> did, I, me to did I so I have no idea where it came from <laughs> yeah. but I really like that and it's a book which is a book only of questions and anyway this sort of came up we were talking in the summer about with you know people from Croatia from Portugal from Romania 
Latvia, from the Netherlands, from Serbia, from Germany. And we were talking about, you know, the misunderstandings that people have and, and, and also the fixed positions that people have in the world these days and how the misunderstandings and the antagonism and this idea came up was was that we're always trying to answer questions and people think they have the answer and it sort of struck me at that point what if we weren't allowed to give answers we were only allowed to ask questions and obviously that came from that book which i absolutely love so out of this, this project between us has arisen and now has funding to start, which is a little bit like, oh, God, we've got to make it work now, um, which is the idea of the fellowship of questions, the idea that anyone in Europe could ask a question to the rest of Europe and somebody else could answer them, but they could only answer with another question. And the plan is to sort of try to do that through physical means maybe it's online but it's people actually sort of talking to each other to begin with but that we end up with some sort of uh, platform website whatever which actually allows people to go and do that to ask questions um, and see what comes and to follow the thread of well if I, I if i say this then this comes and this comes and it's it's just been a really nice project to do with people i've never met I've only seen on Zoom. I don't know if they've got legs or not. Um, and it's just, it's one of those where, in a really positive way, I think there's something really exciting there, but I don't know where it'll go. And, and we're being allowed to play. And it goes back to that bit, isn't it? We're being allowed to ponce around with words this time um, and see what develops. So we've got initially some funding for a year to just sort of play with the ideas and develop it and we're also applying to another a German organization German fund who are looking at funding it further so I think it's something that might well happen and that could fit in with union it could fit in with the stuff that we do at chapel fms the idea of teenagers you know some some grannies in Romania because they are as is an organization that works with grannies in Romania who ask a question in Romanian which gets translated and then you present it to a group of young people and in East Leeds and say, well, what would you are, you know, having that question, what does that inspire you to ask? Where does that go? And I think, you know, at a time when, you know, we're leaving Europe, we're cutting our links and stuff, it's really exciting to be saying, well, we're, we're leaving the European Union, but we still have neighbours, we still need to understand others, we still need to ask each other questions. Totally right. And I like the, the questions because it goes back to something we, we always used to say when we were working with, well, we still do work, work with young people a great deal, but when you hand them a microphone, you know, hand a young person a microphone, it's a kind of license to be curious, to ask questions. Yeah. And I think that is such a fundamental uh, part of what we do. Um, yeah. But Adrian, thanks ever so much for, for, for talking to us um, this evening. And uh, it's, it's great to have you on love the words before you go i'm going to ask you for your second piece of music please yeah well i thought about it and i thought well actually you know we're going to apple open back up chapel fm um in a while and, and who would i really like to listen to performing back in the radio theater at chapel fm and one of my favorite local artists and it's been a joy over the last however many years working with with local some amazing musicians based in Leeds who've sort of put all sorts of things into their work into just just being at the chapel but actually working with young people there and stuff as well 
Um, and one of my absolute favourites is a woman called Sabrina Piggott. Mm. Um, and I've seen her play lots of times and I've given her lots of opportunities. And I've seen her play in the chapel and I love 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 her playing in the chapel um, and this is a track it's quite an old track of hers but um, um, it does what it says on the tin uh, it's called Goosebumps Tiptoed back into the I go again, can't help it Only the stars can tell me apart From the trees and rocks where I dance openly To how I feel Waiting, giddiness I don't suppress Here it Come, feeding on my knees. 
Love the cases. Love the clauses. Love the adverbs and the antecedents. Love the words. From ELFM. You're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM. Thanks so much to Adrian Sinclair for that interview. Next week, there'll be an interview with Andy Craven Griffiths, the writer, and also workshop leader. Andy does some fantastic work in schools up and down the country. Um, now we're going to be hearing a track from Alex Rushforth's new album, forthcoming album, released on the 30th of October and it's called The Moon in the Clouds that's the title of the album you can find these tracks which are kind of preview tracks on Bandcamp Alex Rushforth I really do recommend uh, Alex he's um, I've known Alex since he was probably about 14 or 15 he came through Next Gen which is our program for young people and uh, he's a really talented songwriter producer and writer and singer so um this track is called uh, Lemon. Uh, after that, we're going to be hearing a story from James Fernie called A Fireside Companion. Lemon, Thank you. 
Love the haiku, love the sonnet, love the quatrain and the couplet, love the words, from East Leeds FM. A fireside companion remembered. As a wane, I slept in the bed recess, sunk into the wall in the kitchen, immediately behind the door from the lobby. To get into bed, I had to step up onto the arm of the smoker's chair next to the fire and clamber in from there. This process was reversed each morning when you wanted down. Looking out from this vantage point, I could see the dinner table to my left and above it the ever-present clothes pulley, invariably occupied with its drying duties, especially in the winter months, which in Glasgow could
could last the whole year round. Out beyond the pulley and table sat the kitchen sink and drainer, both of which fronted a large, expansive window, my childhood gateway to the moon. To the right of this floor to ceiling stood our tall but lean, dry foods ladder, then coming back towards me, the cooker, with his giant pot of homemade soup squat upon the hob, a soup that appeared as if by magic to last most of the week. Next came the range, the focal point of the room, all glistening jet black with polished chrome handles. I remember an assortment of doors to individual ovens, though in my time these were seldom used. Then there was the vast griddle pan that hung suspended from its own black hook. Finally, the fire, the absolute heart of the matter set within the surrounding hearth with its stylized tiles, a workaday four-piece companion set consisting of poker, shovel, brush and tongs, and bordering it all a shallow brass fender barrier designed to block any rogue spitting embers. As the fire gradually dimmed and sleep hovered near, I'd find myself snug in my recessed bed under a soft reading lamp, engrossed in the tales of Edgar Allan Poe. Thrilled by the fear and suspense found on each new page, the experience further enhanced by occasional drips from the pulley and exaggerated shadows cast by the moon falling on items of suspended clothing moving ever so slightly in the growing dark out there and in my heightened imagination. Then comes sleep. Morning brings a close to that night's dream and with it a swift descent to the floor and the cold reality of tenement life in winter. My big sister enters and straightway sets about cleaning out the fire. The rhythm and routine is old hat to her, but that doesn't make it any less of a chore. Dead ash is raked and wrapped in an old newspaper to be dumped in the bins outside by me en route to the dunny for a fresh bucket full of coal. And so a new day begins. Love the nouns. Love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. Quando eu canto e a chuva.